Audhu Billah Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of His household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome once again to our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. In the last few times that we met, we were going through the ingredients mentioned in our Islamic tradition for being an effective learner. And after we went through about a dozen of these ingredients and the last time that we met, we started to also look at how in today's uh, culture, whether we look at the corporate world and the world of high performance in uh, our careers, our work, our business, as well as at the level of self-help and motivation and uh, in life in general, we see that a lot of the ingredients that we spoke about are coming back again and again, recurrently, they are coming back as major themes by these gurus, these thinkers, these scientists who are studying these issues. They are constantly going back to some of the same ingredients that we spoke about. And that includes, for instance, the importance of focus and focusing, therefore, uh, dedicating ourselves more to a single task and doing it well or prioritizing tasks and doing those well as opposed to multitasking and trying to juggle too much. The importance of time management and within that the priority that is given in a lot of the literature to mornings specifically. Uh, the, in, the link between what we eat and how it affects the way we think and the way we feel. Um, the importance of hard work, the importance of sacrifice, the importance of pushing ourselves more if we want to achieve results and basically try to elevate ourselves beyond being one of the masses and one of the commoners. It requires dedication and it requires hard work and uh, sacrifice. Uh, there was the theme of mentorship that is now a very big business and a very big theme in uh, these different areas of life. Uh, again, that is being highlighted, this importance of finding people that we consider to be successful in a given field and trying to engage with them and have a relationship with them so that they can maybe guide us and show us how they got there and what lessons they have learned that they can share with us. And this becomes kind of a plan, step-by-step -step incremental plan for us to follow. These are some of the big ingredients and themes that we looked at. And we're saying basically that when we look at today's culture, we're seeing that there are starting to be very clear linkages, a lot of people pointing out to those same themes. And to show this, we went through a number of books, perhaps 12 books in these fields that we tried to summarize very quickly in the time that we had. And I said, I'm only sharing books that I know about. There are many, many others that I could share, but those are the ones that come to my mind as being more directly related to these themes. And so I went through them because I thought that there are some important points mentioned, highlights mentioned in these books that are relevant to things that we've been talking about. And so without going through the books again, uh, 
Um, we definitely for and, and these were just examples. We didn't go through every ingredient. We went through perhaps three or four of the big ingredients and mentioning a few books for each one of them. So one of them had to do, for instance, with our intellectual ability on the one side and our emotional state on the other side and the link between those two. So either both or separately, depending on the books uh, and what we eat, the food that we consume. So and part of that had to do with depending on how much food we eat. That's one point. Another is what type of food we eat. Uh, and when in the day are we consuming those foods, this is going to have an impact on these important points. So intellectual ability, emotional well-being, and so on and so forth. And we said that there's also highlighted in the literature a lot of books on the importance uh, or the link between what we eat, what we consume, and our sleep cycle, the circadian cycle. Okay, and we want to make sure that for someone who wants to be high performing during the day, you want to be able to wake up for your Fajr prayer and maintain that stamina and performance all day. You need to make sure that you're sleeping well too. This is kind of the basics. And so for that to happen, you need to see what are you doing right before sleeping and what are you consuming that's uh, hopefully uh, impacting your sleep positively so that you can sleep better and sleep more deeply and you recuperate better during your sleep so you're ready for the next day. All of that is part of a cycle. And of course, that in turn is going to affect your time management. If you don't sleep well, you're going to feel either you're going to feel lazy and you're going to feel uh, frustrated throughout the day. And at the same time, you're not going to be able to perform as well and you won't most likely be able to maintain that way of waking up and being high performing all day every day if your sleep is not happening okay so there's a domino effect there we spoke specifically about the importance of mornings and that morning routine and i mentioned quite a few books related to that and how all of these people are showing basically that uh, the key to their success in life and this does not apply just to them personally it's uh, the result of a lot of study. A lot of these people have not only studied the, the top performers in different fields in today's world, they've gone back in history to look at some of the most influential, some of the most successful people throughout history, and they notice that there is a pattern that emerges that all of those people considered the morning to be an extremely key time in the day and therefore you have to have a specific routine in your morning that will ensure that the rest of your day is going to be allowing you enabling you to have a high performing day you're going to be able to achieve as much as you hope to achieve in the day and so some of the things inshallah this is just as a refresher that were highlighted book after book when you go through them they mentioned for instance the importance of physical exercise the importance of solitude, silence, uh, deep reflection, inner reflection. So that's the second one. Third one, the importance of learning to take place in the morning. And finally, writing. And some of, it, some of them call it journaling. Some of them call it scribing uh, or just writing. So this is all linkages to things that we've been talking about. These are the ingredients that we've been mentioning. So all of these elements have been highlighted book after book by those people who want to make their morning into a routine that enables them to have high performing daily lives normal lives 
Okay, the next theme that we spoke about was uh, the importance of focus. And we said that this is also uh, an idea that comes back sometimes specifically, like an entire book being dedicated to it. And sometimes throughout various books, they all come back to this point of the importance of prioritizing, focusing on the thing that you consider to be a priority, that you consider to be of the utmost importance to you, integrating that into your morning and then your daily routine so that this part becomes clear you are able to focus on it and you are able to be consistent about it the greater or the greatest results and the greatest successes in life are rarely achieved by in one second or one instant or one big push usually they are achieved as the result of a long accumulation, a consistent series, you know, day in, day out, or some sort of regular effort that is sustained uh, from the person who is trying to accomplish whatever they're trying to accomplish, it's much better and more consistent to try to do it over small incremental steps, day in, day out, on a regular basis, as opposed to just do a big push, because usually that big push means after that you're just going to crash or you're going to not be able to sustain those types of energies afterwards uh, all the time. Okay, so that was sometimes called, for instance, day stacking in some of the books. And it's simply the idea that you are consistent, you are regular, and that you have a routine and you work slowly towards the high goals that you're trying to achieve, as opposed to seeing it as something like trying to move a mountain and you're trying to do it in one shot. It won't work. You have to do it step by step, piece by piece. Okay. Um, in relation to that, there was a mention of uh, mastering the art of what we called focusing. Uh, so your ability to be able to focus on one thing at a time instead of multitasking. And that was a the whole theme, and I think it's clear enough. And this has to lead to prioritizing those things that really matter to you. So you have to have some sort of inner reflection so that you are able to identify those things that are most important to you, and then you prioritize them and try to incorporate them starting in the morning and then the rest of your day. Okay, and this, the result of this, once you dedicate yourself to the priorities in your life it makes you much more efficient and much more effective in achieving those results and then once that's done it's going to feed and that's the main point that we ended with that is going to feed something else which is the importance of self-motivation to have an inner drive the push has to come from deep within you has to come from inside and for that to happen, you have to know what your priorities are. You have to know that there is something inside of you moving you, pushing you in a certain direction. So that you are able, once this happens, then you're able to overcome. That's your why, right? You find your why. You find your purpose. You find uh, that thing that is pushing you in a certain direction. And then you are able to plow through any difficulty once that's been identified and you know why you're moving in that direction. It becomes a lot easier as opposed to kind of just letting it randomly happen to you passively. No, be active about it. Be intentional about it. This is my purpose. This is what I'm trying to achieve. And therefore, you move in that direction and no obstacle becomes too big for you to keep moving in that direction. So the reason we talked about all of this, as we said, First and foremost, we said, as we mentioned in the ingredients of being good learners, we said that we are uh, advised by our religion to look for the truth and look for whatever is beneficial and that contains good judgment and wisdom wherever we may find it. 
And so if it means that we may find some of these nuggets of truth and things that are really beneficial to us in all of these books, great. We'll take those two and we'll incorporate them into our daily lives and our morning routines and so on and so forth. That's great. We're seekers of the truth. Wherever we find it, we'll take it. But the second point I was hoping to show from all of this is that we appreciate our religion even more. That this religion that was revealed to people living in the desert 14 centuries ago contained all of these ingredients all that time ago. And the more we study them and the more we think about them, the more we see how they apply to our very complex, very developed and very different lives today. And we believe that they will continue to apply to humanity very beneficially, no matter how much in the future this is going to be and where on earth it's going to be. So long as there are human beings, these ingredients are going to remain applicable, they're going to remain relevant and important. Walaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Okay, so that's kind of what we were trying to say in that today, if we look at those who are the greatest minds and the most successful people with the most experience or those who have studied history the most, they've studied success the most, whether it's in general or in specific fields, they're coming to the same conclusions and they are recognized as such. And they're all the books that we mentioned, they're all the best sellers. There's a reason why people are converging towards those. You see, it's the same ingredients that our religion has been talking about uh, uh, all along. And the difference, however, is that we consider all of this, these good nuggets of truth and good and beneficial information to be limited, to be lacking. Because the main perspective and the main worldview from which they are looking at the world and they're looking at success and they're looking at performance is a limited one. It is one that is relying on a limited view of the truth of reality of life, which is a material, worldly way of looking at everything. Whereas we believe that all of this is covered in our religion, yet it is part of a larger vision, a more holistic vision, that also includes your eternal happiness. It's not limited to just your success and your happiness in this world. That is going to be guaranteed but it is going to be part of a larger, bigger plan that takes into consideration all of the dimensions of our being, our soul and our body, this life and the next life. It's not limited to how do we achieve success in this world. We want to achieve success in this world, but not at the expense of. If you think that this life is going to be representative of 1% of your entire existence or 1 in a 1,000 or 1 in a million or less than that, then you have to also give the priority to where you think you're going to live more, where your true existence is going to lie, and ensure that your happiness is going to be ensured there first. And then you look at what do I need to do to also achieve happiness in this world. That would be the logical, appropriate thing to do and how we're supposed to look at our lives. And so we believe that our religion has done this. This is why we think that its teachings are appropriate they are balanced because they take all of this into consideration and they're not when it talks about food it's not only looking at that one dimension of your physical entity or your intellectual well-being or your emotional well-being there's also a soul and that soul is affected by what you eat and how much and when when you look at the importance of focus when you look at the importance of your morning routine and so on and so forth 
Okay, so this is also to show and to highlight that therefore we need to begin these types of quests by looking at what our religion has says, has said first. And then we go to these other books to maybe see perhaps there is something valid, perhaps there is something beneficial, truthful that we may still apply. But let me go and see, has my religion said anything about this? Perhaps there is even, even a higher, more subtle, more deep wisdom that I find in my religion that will help me achieve a greater level and a, a deeper level of happiness than the one that I'm going to achieve in these types of books. And of course, if you go through these books, you'll see that there's also a lot of contradictions, there's a lot of shortcomings, and they don't all agree. These are different people looking at it from different angles, whereas we believe that our religion is revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator, the one who knows what we need and how best to achieve those results in our lives, in our daily lives, and our daily routines. So... That's kind of the recap of what we tried to cover until now. So we continue with these ingredients and we start slowly moving towards what we called the manners of learning. And we are still focused on the learner here. And inshallah, we're going to keep building on those. But we're trying to, to move along as much as we can. And so the reason we called those manners is because this is how they are referred to in a lot of the books. And inshallah, I'll probably... When I have time, either maybe next week, the week after, let's see where we stop here. There is definitely one book that everybody refers to and considers to be kind of the classic text in this area. So inshallah, and, and it's separated into three parts. There's one part that is directly relevant to these manners of the learner. We'll summarize maybe that book, I don't know, quickly, or we dedicate a lecture to it. But we can definitely go through all of the main points, one uh, of the... Uh, books written by one of our most important scholars in the Shia tradition. And so, inshallah, we may do that and cover all of the manners that are not being covered by, specifically by the hadith that we're going through. So it's complemented by, just so that you have a good idea of what's in our tradition, what's in our literature concerning this topic. Okay, so we continue with the next manner slash ingredient, and that's going to be the importance of being a listener. The importance of being a good listener. So the idea here is that we want to go beyond just being a passive listener. Someone who uh, has ears and we hear the sounds being emitted that are being called information or knowledge. And we are, of course, here more focused on religious knowledge, but this could apply to anything beneficial. And so the idea is that Knowledge has to be more than something we just hear. To be a listener is more than to be someone who hears the knowledge and says, you know, I've listened to a lecture. I've listened to a series of courses. It has to be much more than that. Okay, so what does that mean? So we could give a uh, very quick summary, but I'm going to maybe do that towards the end. The idea, hopefully, that you can keep in mind as we go through the hadith, through the narrations, is that Inshallah, you're going to see so that I don't comment and we can move quickly uh, on every hadith. First, inshallah, you're going to see that this definitely applies to the learner while they are in the learning situation. Okay, so that's the most relevant dimension to what we're talking about. We're talking about a learner in a learning situation. Okay, so you are in a classroom, you are in a listening to a lecture, you are in front of a teacher. Okay, this definitely applies and you will see that this is the direct meaning to be extracted from these ahadith.
There's a second layer to this and a third layer to this. The second layer is now that you are a learner, you're going to start, inshallah, this is what I'm trying to do, is that you keep this in mind. By being a learner, it means you are transformed. And this means that you have to be in that state of being a learner 24-7. This is your new state in life. This is not something that you do 45 minutes a week or 20 minutes a day. This is who you are as of this moment when you have decided that you are now a seeker of knowledge, an Islamic seeker of knowledge. It means that you have to see the world differently. You are always in a state of seeking knowledge. Whether you are sitting formally in a classroom or listening to a lecture or a sermon or whatever it may be or not. So this means that as a learner, you, th- the advice that we're going to see in these hadith and these narrations has to be applicable to your life in general. Because you are a seeker of knowledge, you have to be aware of this at all times. And you will see that a lot of this advice is going to be applicable to life in general. It will be more applicable in the situation of learning. But it will still be applicable to your life in general. And the point is that this is supposed to be how every good Muslim is supposed to carry themselves and conduct themselves. Okay, so that would be the third layer, the third level. Is that whether you are officially and formally a seeker of knowledge or not, this advice still applies. It's just that you may not be aware of it, you're not uh, applying it, and so you're the one who's missing out. But this applies to everyone. But definitely and for sure, it applies to the learner in the learning situation, and perhaps to a lesser degree, the learner, even though they are not in a learning situation. But the third layer is, they apply to everyone all the time. And you will, so as we go through these hadith, inshallah, these points remain with you so that we don't have to repeat them. The first hadith comes from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, "Man ahsan al-istima' ta'ajjal al-intifa'." The one who perfects listening well. Let's let's say it that way, word for word, simple. The one who perfects their ability to listen well, they will reach the benefits sooner, or they will reach the benefits quickly. They will get there a lot faster than anyone else. Okay, so that's the first very general, very simple hadith from Imam Ali salam. And I always try to put, as I said, these seemingly very simple hadith at the beginning so that as we go, and the more and the further along and the deeper we go in the hadith that elaborate more, the more we start seeing the pattern that these very simple hadith are in fact not so simple. They contain all of that truth in a very condensed manner, in any case. So that's the first understanding or first hadith related to this topic. The second one related to the topic of listening from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Rahimallahum ri'an, sami'a hukman fawa'a wa du'iya ila rashadin fadana. So Imam Ali alayhi salam says, may God have mercy upon the one who listens to wisdom and understands so when they listen to wisdom, they understand. And when invited to good judgment, they come to it. Okay, so here, the Imam is elevating what we found in the first hadith. Man ahsan al-istima' Right? We said the one who perfects their ability to listen. Here the Imam is saying that your ability to listen is not just about, as we said, hearing. It's not just about hearing the knowledge 
or hearing the wisdom. The Imam says, Sami'a hukman fawa'a. There has to be an understanding. You have to digest, you have to understand, you have to comprehend and internalize what you have heard. That's level one. And level two, then you have to act on it. Or as the Imam shows in this image, in this hadith, he says, and when the person, when you are called, or that person is called, invited to good judgment, to wisdom, they actually answer the call. They actually move in that direction. That's an image that the Imam is saying. As though you have someone and they send you an invitation. You can choose to go or not to go. You received the invitation. You understood what is said. That's level one. I understood the lecture. I understood what I read in the book. I understood the content. I understood the Quran. But the second layer is, and you move in that direction. There's action that follows. It's, it doesn't stay at an intellectual level. It starts to transform. Right? And So someone who walks in that way. So you have to walk on it or act on it. The next two ahadith, again, the first one from Imam Ali السلام, the second one from Imam Al-Hassan السلام, they are pieces of advice and uh, you will see in, in, in general they contain a lot more than what we're trying to cover. But inshallah you'll see the benefit from mentioning them. So the hadith of Imam Ali السلام, is much shorter and you will see an application of it in the hadith of Imam Al-Hassan السلام. So Imam Ali alayhi salam, very practically, very concrete, practical advice. He says, إِذَا جَلَسْتَ إِلَىٰ عَالِمٍ فَكُنْ عَلَىٰ أَن تَسْمَعْ أَحْرَصَ مِنْكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تَقُولُ وَتَعَلَّمْ حُسْنَ الْإِسْتِمَاعِ كَمَا تَعَلَّمُ حُسْنَ الْقَوْلِ وَلَا تَقْطَعْ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ حَدِيثَةٍ So when Imam Ali alayhi salam says, when you sit before a scholar, be more concerned with listening than with talking. That's one. And then, this is the key. And then he says, and learn how to listen well, just as you learn how to speak well. So this tells us that listening is an art form. Listening is a craft. Listening is a science. Just like speaking. You can't just think that someone is going to naturally learn how to speak well. You, a lot of people, most people can speak. Most people can listen. But the Imam qualifies it. He says, he doesn't say, Everybody can claim that they have that an ability to listen and understand. Just like everybody can claim that they know how to talk. But he says, He doesn't say, you study. There is a certain way to express yourself so that when people listen, they say, this is someone who knows how to talk. This is someone who speaks very well. Well, this was something they learned. No one is born knowing how to do this. The Imam is saying, just as you learn, just as you expand energy, learning how to speak well, you have to do the same to listening. Listening requires this type of effort too. It doesn't just happen on its own. Okay? So very clear from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, just as you learn how to speak well. And then he says, very practically, and he says, and do not cut off the speech of anyone. So now he adds another nugget of advice, very practical. 
And this could be interpreted in two different ways. It could be interpreted very specifically because the imam began this part of his advice by saying, you are now sitting before someone who is teaching. So therefore he's saying, and do not cut off the teacher. Do not interrupt the teacher. Or more generally, the imam is saying, do not cut off anyone. Because in that situation of learning, the benefit may come from the teacher or from anyone else. It may come from the question. It may come from a comment that someone makes. Do not interrupt. And this is something we're going to come back to, inshallah, later. This is something very common, especially, for instance, when you're thinking while someone else is talking and you're getting ready to say what you have to say so you're not too focused on what they're going to say. Or someone is about to say something and you've already heard the story or you think you know what they're going to say, so you may say it before them. Or These are very common mistakes that people fall into that are definitely to be avoided as an effective learner in Islam. And we're going to go through all of them very quickly, inshallah, in the next couple of lectures. Okay? So here the imam is giving you the general rule. And do not interrupt anyone. So on one side, we could say, because it's disrespectful, there's manners and etiquettes to be followed. And one of the basic ones is you do not interrupt someone. No excuse, just don't interrupt that's one. And two, there's a benefit that you may miss out on by interrupting the person. You don't know what you just interrupted. You don't know what they were about to say. Maybe you thought you knew. And so you jumped in with what you have to say and you now missed out on whatever this person was about to say. You cut them off with whatever you have to say. So now you cared more about talking as opposed to listening. And that's why the imam began with let your main concern be Listening. More concerned with listening than talking. Okay? So here, very clearly we see from the Imam salam that listening is an art. Listening is a science. It's a craft. It's something we can perfect and work on and get better at. That's one. And two, and this is something I'm going to leave here for now, but again, one of those things that inshallah we see again and again. And in fact, very early in the series, we tried to highlight this. And we said in our religion, our religion gives a special importance to silence. But silence requires discipline. It requires practice. Someone to be quiet. Someone to be silent. Someone to have the discipline to hold back the tongue. We want to react. We want to make a comment. We want to ask a question. We want to say what we know. In every case, we have a hadith and we're going to see them that are going to tell us, no, hold back. Wait, make sure that what you're about to ask is the appropriate question at the appropriate time from the appropriate person. The same thing when you're about to make a comment. The same thing when you're about to answer a question. We're going to see the importance of the discipline. And this is all related to the idea of silence. The link between your ability to listen and your ability to be quiet. To be silent. To remain silent. And we're going to see that in a few of the hadith today, inshallah, for the time we have. Okay, the next hadith, as I said, to me is a kind of an application. And this is the beauty of the hadith of Ahlul Bayt You go through enough of them and you see how they explain each other. It's as though it's the same person talking. Okay, but these are different people at different times talking. So this is from Imam Al-Hassan salam, And notice how the same idea with the same wording comes back. But now it's the application. In what sense? 
So the imam gave the general rule. If you sit before a scholar, be more concerned about listening than talking, and so on and so forth. Imam al-Hassan we are told, if you go in the books that give us some of the uh, advice, the narrations given by the imams السلام, this is usually mentioned by Imam al-Hassan as he gave basically the eulogy. He eulogized someone who has just passed away. So the person is never mentioned in this hadith. All it says, the way it's described is وَقَالَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ فِي وَصْفِ أَخٍ كَانَ لَهُ صَالِحٍ He had a righteous brother. So we believe this is a brother in faith. Okay, this is how the person who narrated the hadith introduced it. He says this is the Imam alayhi salam. He basically eulogized a brother of his, a brother of, in faith of his, when he eulogized him, describing him because this person was righteous. This was a righteous brother of the Imam. So what did the Imam say? This is why I said this is an application. And you will see it here and there in the description that the Imam is now giving. Imagine the honor of receiving this type of description. The Imam, Imam al-Hassan our second Imam, is describing this person in this way. So he says, he was one of the greatest people in my eye or in my eyes. And the main matter which made him grow in greatness to me or in my eyes was the smallness of life in his eyes. He considered the world to be modest, small, without any greatness. That's what made him great in my eyes, Imam al-Hassan said. He didn't give that much importance to this world and everything in it. He considered this world, this life to be small in his eyes. And so he grew in greatness, this person, in the eye of, from the perspective of Imam al-Hassan Okay, then he says, the first description that he gives, he says, he had left the kingdom of ignorance or the kingdom of foolishness. We said jahala can be translated as both. And then now the Imam is going to explain to us, so what does that mean? Practically, what does that mean that someone has left this kingdom of ignorance and foolishness? He says, he does not extend his arm. He does not reach out with his hand towards something unless he is certain that it is beneficial. So everything is meditated. Everything is reflected upon. Everything is intentional. And he knows that this is going to be to my greater benefit. I don't go for something just because I feel I want it. I desire it. That's not good enough. Is it really beneficial to me? And that includes my afterlife. It cannot be limited to just this world. Then the Imam says, كَانَ لَا يَشْتَكِي وَلَا يَتَسَخَّطْ وَلَا يَتَبَرَّمْ He would not complain. He would not get angry. And he would not feel bored or lazy or frustrated or... He would not give excuses. All of these can be translations of yatabarram. Okay, we're starting to see the kind of person that this is. Then the Imam adds, 
كان أكثر دهره صامتا He spent most of his life in silence He spent most of his time quiet فإذا قال بذ القائلين And when he spoke He was greater in speech than all of the others He beat all the others in speech He doesn't speak much, but it's not because of some incapacity, some sort of inability, some some sort of ignorance. He is very able to speak, but he does not. He chooses not to speak. He limits his speech. He's not talkative. كان ضعيفا مستضعفا. So the, here, ضعيف. It's not that he was weak. We have to interpret it as he was humble and belittled. مستضعفا. Other people consider him to be modest. Other people belittle him because he carries himself with humility and modesty. But then the Imam adds, فَإِذَا جَاءَ الْجِدِّ فَهُوَ اللَّيْثُ عَادِيَةً But then when seriousness comes, then you find him to be like an attacking lion. And there, this is the point. The entire hadith was for this line, but I thought I wouldn't just give you this line. I'll give you the entire eulogy or the entire hadith. The Imam says, كان إذا جامع العلماء على أن يستمع أحرص منه على أن يقول. And he was someone who, when he was in the presence of scholars, he was more concerned with listening than with speaking. See, the same wording, the same idea as Imam Ali السلام's hadith. More concerned with listening than with speaking when in the presence of someone he considers to be a scholar. كان إذا غلب على الكلام لم يغلب على السكوت. While he may have been beaten in speech, and this is problematic because there are people that may look like they're beating you in talk, in speech, because they're loud, because they talk too much, and you don't, so you don't engage, so it may look like they beat you in speech. Right? So the Imam says, while he may have been beaten in speech, He was never beaten in silence. And this has two meanings. Either we say that this person is always the one who will be more silent. He takes the high road, as they say in English. So he's wiser, better judgment. And two, it could also mean that this person uses the silence, the quiet of this person and the silence of this person and not engaging is itself an argument is itself a way to win the disagreement and to win the the polemic that he's in. Then the Imam adds, كَانَ لَا يَقُولُ مَا لَا يَفْعَلْ وَيَفْعَلُ مَا لَا يَقُولُ And this is beautiful, the eloquence of Imam al-Hassan salam here. So the first part is about hypocrisy. He says he never says Something that he does not do. He doesn't talk about something when he does not do it himself. I'm going to tell people, go pray and go fast and go read the Quran, and I don't do it myself. So if I talk about something, I at least have to be the one doing it, and hopefully doing it even better before I can preach about it, for instance. Okay, so this person has no hypocrisy in that meaning. But then the Imam continues, وَيَفْعَلُ مَا لَا يَقُولُ But he does things and he does not talk about them. So this person is doing good 
in secrecy, without telling the world about it, without talking about it. You do it quietly. And if it is good, the benefits will reach and the rewards will be multiplied. Right? So you see here that this person, he does not say what he does not do. And what he does, he doesn't talk about it. And then the Imam says, كَانَ إِذَا عَرَضَ لَهُ أَمْرَانِ This applies to every, every one of us, all the time. كَانَ إِذَا عَرَضَ لَهُ أَمْرَانِ لَا يَدْرِي أَيُّهُمَا أَقْرَبُ إِلَى رَبِّهِ نَظَرَ أَقْرَبَهُمَا مِنْ هَوَاهِ فَخَالَفَهِ So when this person encounters two matters, two options, two alternatives, and he's unsure which one of them is closer to his Lord, is closer to God, then he would see which one is closer to his desire, and then that's the one he would reject. If you're in doubt, if you're not sure, then you know that your desire is going towards that which is not going to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you're unsure. Usually we're pretty sure. In case you're unsure, then this person, in those cases, by the testimony of Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam, this is how this person, this is what was his trick. This is what he used. If I'm unsure, is this something that, which, which of these alternatives does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want me to do? I have to see, well, which one does my desire lean more towards? That's the one I should probably reject. It's probably not the best reason why my desire wants it. Okay, and then the Imam finishes by saying, كَانَ لَا يَلُومُ أَحَدًا عَلَى مَا قَدْ يَقَعُ الْعُذْرُ فِي مثله. He would not blame others for that which he would excuse himself from doing. When I see someone and they are probably doing something that is not great, that is not correct, that is not good, I have to put myself in that situation and say, would I do that? And if I did it, would I come up with an excuse to justify what I'm doing in that situation? If that's the case, then I have to come up with that excuse for that person too. And not judge them and not consider them, view them negatively. If I can come up with an excuse for myself in that situation, I can come up with an excuse for them. So let me use that excuse for them now and close that door. Okay? And be more concerned with myself, basically. Okay, that's the hadith from Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet The Holy Prophet says, تَعَلَّمُ الصمت ثم الحلم ثم العلم ثم العمل به ثم أبشر. So the Holy Prophet says, learn to stay quiet. He's giving us the steps. Learn to stay quiet. Then learn patience. Then learn knowledge. Then learn to act on it. And then rejoice. And so here, here the Holy Prophet basically wrapped up everything. He spoke about the spiritual dimension, the akhlaq dimension, the intellectual dimension. And then the end of it, he put the, the bow on the whole cycle is then rejoice. That's it. You've achieved it. You're there. You've reached the happiness that everyone is looking for if you follow these steps. But where does it start? It starts with learn to be quiet. Learn silence, and then patience, and then knowledge, and then action, and then you achieve happiness. Okay, inshallah, this is the cycle. You see the cycle we've been talking about it from the beginning. From Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, 
he says that a man came to the Holy Prophet. So this, in the same line, a little bit more detailed. A man came to the Holy Prophet sallallahu so a man came to the Holy Prophet and he asked him, O Messenger of God, what is knowledge? So the Holy Prophet said, which we could say, you know, you become quiet to listen to something. You can't really translate it in English because there's two steps to it that are included in the, in the word in Arabic. You be quiet first, and then you listen attentively. Okay? So, becoming quiet to listen. Or listening in silence. He said, then what? So, the first layer, the first step in the process of knowledge, the Holy Prophet is answering this man, what is knowledge? He said, basically, be quiet. That's step one. And then, two, then what? He said, to hear but to hear in the sense of istima'ah, you intend to hear, you intend to listen. You listen with an intent to understand what is being said. Okay, and then he said, and then what? So be quiet, and then listen to understand, and then that's when the Holy Prophet says, to hifd, to learn, or to memorize, or to understand. All of this can be understood as hifd. You digest what you have heard, what you have really heard. And then what? And then the Holy Prophet says, and now you act on it. You understood? Action. Transformational knowledge. And then after you act on it, what's your next duty? That's where we're at in the series. You start to spread it. And this is going to create a community. Okay? Inshallah, we'll link it later. If you've gone through all of this, now you have put yourself in a situation where you have to spread the knowledge that you have. So that was the first element, the first uh, ingredient. Inshallah, this covers the first one. So being a listener or being a good listener. Um, I have here a whole bunch of books, I think probably around 15 of them or so. Maybe I'll mention them next time. Okay, until we keep moving in the ingredients and then we'll dedicate a a chunk of time to go through the books. But it's again to show the importance that has been given to this topic. And to show that anyone who has thought about, who has studied listening, they've concluded that listening is not something that just happens to you passively. It's something that you have to learn. And so there are all of these derivative ideas that had that have come out of the idea of being a good listener what does it mean to listen and to listen well and so you have mindful listening and active listening and all sorts of different schools there's a philosophical way to look at it an emotional way to look at it a communicative way to look at it and so books upon books have been written around this so i thought i'd mention a few of them with just a couple of highlights like i did if you guys enjoy this type of summaries of books, so inshallah we can do that uh, later. Okay, so, yeah. The next ingredient is to have critical thinking. 
critical thinking inshallah we're going to come back to in a little bit more detail later in an applied way this is just in general so i'm just going to leave it at this one hadith that i thought summarizes very very well what we need okay and then there's a social component that inshallah we'll talk about later this is more at the individual level so this hadith comes to us from prophet isa jesus it's reported that he said so he starts by saying, Take the truth from the people of falsehood. And do not take falsehood from the people of truth. And then he says, So, you know, be critics of speech, of talk. فَكَمْ مِنْ ضَلَالَةٍ زُخْرِفَتْ بِآيَةٍ مِنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ كَمَا زُخْرِفَتْ دِرْهَمْ مِنْ نُحَاسِ بِالْفِضَّةِ الْمُمَوَّهَةِ He says, so how many a misguidance which was decorated, which was ornamented with verse, a verse or verses from the book of God as the, the dime of copper is plated with fraudulent silver. It's only copper, but they plate it with silver to show that it is something a lot more valuable, something a lot better. So he says, how many a misguidance is falsified? It's not really authentic, but it's presented as such. How? With verses from the book of God. Okay, so this is the use of religion to present things that are false, misguidance. And then he says, Insight, insight, it all appears the same. Those two pieces of money look like to people, you look at this silver and this silver, they look the same. Who does it look different to? To the expert, to the specialist who looks at both and he will tell you this is a fake coin and this is a real coin. This is authentic and this is not. So if you're not careful and you're not a critic and you're not an expert, you're not going to be able to distinguish. Okay, but he began, and this is the key. He began, so this is all an explanation. He began with this statement. Take the truth from the people of falsehood and do not take falsehood from the people of truth. So the first part is what we've been talking about. We seek the truth. And we take it wherever we find it. So he starts by saying, take truth from the people of falsehood. So that part we've well established, confirmation from Isa salam. The second part, this is the dangerous one. This is the difficult one. He says, and do not take falsehood from the people of truth. So this means, first of all, that we cannot consider anyone to be so flawless as for us to accept everything they have to share. Unless God tells us someone is flawless. Unless God says, this is a messenger, this is a prophet, this is an imam. Other than that restricted circle, there are no flawless people. 
And that's why Isa السلام, says, there are people, these are the people that he calls Ahl al-Haq. These are the people of truth. Do not accept their falsehood. They will give you some falsehood. No one is flawless. No one is without error. It could be an answer. It could be a judgment. It could be an opinion. It could be a, 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 a behavior. It could be a position they take. We have no guarantee that this is correct. Unless Allah says that this is 100% correct, there are no such guarantees. Which means what? Which means we have to move to the next layer, to the next level. We have to become critics of speech. We have to become experts to distinguish between the true coin and the fake coin. Right? So layer one, do not consider anyone so flawless that they cannot make any mistakes and they cannot share any mistakes with you. The second rule from this, and inshallah this one we've established well, do not let the bad blind you. And so if there are people of falsehood and they have some truth to share, something beneficial to share, take it. Don't let the bad blind you from seeing the good. And then the opposite, the tough one, the third rule from this, and do not let the good blind you. If someone has good, don't let that become the excuse and the pretext to accept everything. And then you become, you turn a blind eye, you become blind to the falsehood that comes. That you constantly have to be on high alert. If it's another human being, a normal human being like you, as good, as great as they are, the filter has to be up. Okay? Of course, it requires all of the preconditions and all of the preparation to reach an ability and to reach a level where you can meet this image that Prophet Isa is saying. Where he says, to most people, those two coins look the same. But to the expert, the expert sees that one is fake and the other one is real. Well, who can do that? This requires effort. This requires specialization. It takes a long time to be able to tell those two apart, to understand why this one has value and why this one doesn't. Okay? And to me, the, there's an important point here, is that the manner in which he's presenting this, he's basically saying, alayhi salam, He's basically saying this is not an easy thing to do. At a first level, there's an intellectual level. The intellectual level is just like the craft. You have to learn the craft. Intellectually, it takes a lot of effort to be able to distinguish between the fake and the real. Truth and falsehood. And that's why everybody else can't distinguish. It takes a lot of effort. But this is an, at the intellectual level. But then there's a second level, which is perhaps much more difficult than the intellectual level. Someone, if they are able to bypass the second one, they can easily tell intellectually, this is truth and this is falsehood. That intellectually. So what's the issue? The issue is psychologically. Psychologically, you build an aura of holiness, of sacredness, that makes you unable to see that this is right and this is wrong. This is truth, this is falsehood. Because this is sacred, this is holy, this is flawless. I can't accept a mistake coming from here. And so I won't see the mistake. 
This is psychologically, not intellectually. Intellectually, if you were to look at it objectively, you now have the tools. You've gained, you've acquired the tools to be able to distinguish between them. But psychologically, it's too difficult for you to see that this is wrong and this is right. You reject, you refuse, you turn a blind eye to it. You don't want to know that this is false and this is real. These are not the same. Okay, so this one we also have to keep in mind. That there's an intellectual ability to tell truth from falsehood and there's a psychological ability too. We have to be able to get to both of them. To have that type of objectivity, that type of awareness. Our loyalty is to the truth. Our loyalty is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not to people. It's not to so-and-so. People are fallible. They are doing the best. It doesn't mean that they are good or they are bad for having a certain opinion. But if your conclusion is that this there's a mistake here, there's wrong here, there's falsehood here, you don't accept that as truth. You know that this is falsehood. Okay? So this is the hadith from Isa salam that I thought is kind of a really good summary for that whole topic of having a critical mind. There are other hadith, we're going to touch on many of them in the future lectures, but I think this one for the time being is going to wrap up the topic for us. That's one big ingredient that we're going to summarize with this hadith from Prophet Isa salam. So I'm looking at the time, maybe just over five more minutes for prayer, so I'll stop here. And inshallah, the next topic, and we're going to have quite a few hadith around it, because we're going to look at it from different angles, is going to be the ingredient of asking. Knowing how to ask, and what to ask, and what not to ask, and who to ask from, and so on and so forth. Okay, so the topic of asking is the next one. That's the next ingredient on our list. And we'll see when we'll find the best time to incorporate the summary of a few books related to the topic of listening as well. Okay, so let's stop here, and uh, happy to uh, discuss any questions, comments, concerns you may have. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala al-qaybina al-tahirin. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa ajal faraja. Tafadl. So some of the, or the last hadith that you mentioned, it's the hadith of Abu Bakr So here is why we said that there are two levels to this. And that's why Prophet Isa in the it's a it's an excellent question. So the question is um there are times when you will have someone that you consider to be people of the truth and they have a certain opinion or a certain position and you consider that position based on your limited knowledge and you admit that this person has much more knowledge than you based on your limited knowledge that this is not the conclusion that you reach about a certain topic. And so therefore, in this situation, what do you do? Should You should probably be relying on this person when your conclusion is going against that person. There's a few ways to look at this. The first one is we have to make sure we have the prerequisites to criticize. Someone who does not understand the coins and how they are made and how to evaluate the value of a coin should not be telling me 
whether this coin has the same worth as that coin or not, whether one of them is fake and one of them is true. If I have two pieces of what look like diamonds to me, I'm not just going to take them to anyone. I'm going to take them to someone that I fully trust, that this is someone extremely competent, an expert, a specialist to look at both and tell me, this one is fake and this one is real. Or are they both fake or are they both real? Right? So consider it in that, at that level, when in fact it should be even higher, depending on usually when these terms are mentioned. We're not talking about details. You know, we're talking about something that touches the fundamental understanding of life, your worldview, your aqa'id, beliefs and values. Right? When Prophet Isa uses terms like haq and batil. Okay, we're not talking about like little details where it's okay for people to disagree and nothing really changes. You know, something, some event in history. Two people disagree on did it happen or not and what were the details. It may not change if it is just a historical event without any other dimensions, for instance. But if it's something that affects your beliefs, if it's something that's going to change your worldview, your values in this world, then of course in those cases it falls under truth and falsehood. Do you have the tools to assess? Have you intellectually acquired the, the tools that you need to properly assess the position of this person, the answer, the opinion, the comment of this person, in order to say this is truth and falsehood or not? If not, you have a lot more work to do. You still no, have no opinion to give. And we're going to make that a lot clearer in the next ingredients. Not to rush. As a learner, you never rush. Okay? And that's what the patience in the hadith was saying from the Holy Prophet. You learn to be quiet, and then to have patience, and then to learn, okay? And then after all of that, then you can spread the knowledge. So you should not be entitled to a position and to an uh, opinion right now. You need to go and become a specialist. If you are a specialist, but someone else is more of a specialist, you need to be humble. But it doesn't mean that you're automatically wrong, or that you automatically have to rely on them. If you are a specialist, because specialty is going to have an infinite degree of levels, okay? If you are a specialist, if you have acquired the tools, that's two. And three, what are the things that we're talking about? Is it something that matters or not? Four, when you're saying that do you have to, the only options you gave me in your question is, I disagree. My conclusion is in disagreement with this person's conclusion, and they are much more learned than I am in this field. Therefore, do I have to rely on them or can I rely on my own position? There is certainly at least one more very big alternative. And why are you stuck to this person? Are there no other expert opinions out there? And this is where you can see, perhaps there are others. Maybe not mine. Maybe I'm not qualified. What are the other experts reaching? What are the other experts saying? And eventually with time, you have to find yourself in there. And in matters of religion, it should not be that different from other areas in life. If you had a very important, for all of you not, not to be in that situation, inshallah, if you have a very important, life-threatening, crucial, vital surgery that you have to do, you're probably going to try to find the person who is most qualified to do it. And if you look around and dig enough around, you're going to be told there are probably three people who can do it and they may use different methods. Well, at the end, you're going to choose one of them. So how are you going to do that? And why are you choosing this person? 
with something that you have to be able to really rely on, right? You want to be completely trusting that this is going to be the right call. You don't want to be risking too much here. You want to minimize the risk. How will you do that? You'll do your homework. You'll ask around. You'll talk to different people. You'll assess all of this so that at the end you can say, I can safely say, given everything I know, this looks like the best bet and this is the most qualified person to give me the answer. So this is what you have to do in these cases too. You put it all together in that same way, except that it's technical, let's say religious knowledge, but it's the same process. And at the end you say, and I think this is the person who, ha who is the most competent to give me the answer or the opinion or the conduct or the position that I'm looking for. Okay, so it becomes kind of like that investigative work that you're doing. And in all of these cases, there are situations where, you know, we are all under, inshallah, asking for God's mercy and blessing and help because there is no way to tell and this is the 100% truth. You'll say this is the best to my ability and based on my knowledge and what's available to me, this is the best answer I can come up with. This is the most logical solution, most logical position that we should adopt or apply in this situation. And the knowledge remains with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Yeah. Okay. Tallah. Yeah. So the word the Imam uses, which we did not really do in English, and we lose a lot, by the way, in English that way, and I try not to comment on every word. That word would require like at least one lecture, if not a series of lectures. The word is hawa. And hawa, when it's used in our religion, it's not just desire. I use the word desire. But it's basically our low desires, our ego. Okay, our, the, the I, the, the base I, the animal I in us. When you say I, you know, the, the narcissist in you, the, the ego in you, this is what's referred to as the hawa. This is what the hawa does. There is no good hawa. When hawa is used, it's always negative. It's not like fitra. Fitra is neutral. It's your, your, your primordial nature, unaltered, uh, unchanged. That's your fitra. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is the one who put that in you in that way to make you a good person. So we believe that our fatra is always pushing us towards what is good if it's used properly and it's actually healthy. The issue with hawa is the part that pulls you down. And so then you have the aql who pu that pushes you up. And usually the aql and the hawa are, in, are fighting. And this is what the shaitan uses to come in and, and get you to see the world as he presents it to you. Because that's all he can do, is to decorate the world to you. Decorate the decision, decorate the, the answer and say, this thing, I'm going to beautify it to you more so that it looks attractive and you'll engage in this way. That's the hawa. Is it there? Is there an impulse in you to move in that way? Of course it is. And that's inside your fitra. But your fitra is not going to be your hawa. Your hawa is pulling your fitra down. Because in your fitra, you also can go up. 
So the Imam uses that word. He says when there is a conflict between something that pulls when he sees two alternatives, this person, and one of them is closer to his hawa, and we all know what our hawa is. Our fitrah, sometimes we may lose it, but our hawa, we all know what it is. Okay, You know that this is the lower, the baser of the options. He says he rejects it. He knows. If I'm not sure if this is going to get me closer to God or not, then I flip it. Is this closer to my hawa or not? If, it's, if it is, that's it. I have to reject that. I, I need to move the other way. I need to move up, not down. This is pulling me down. This is bringing me back to my animal instinct, to my narcissism, to my ego. Okay, so that's the hawa. This is, I, I try to translate it in the kind of modern way of looking at the world. Narcissism and, and ego and all of that. Inshallah, we'll talk more about hawa in, in the future, much later in this series. Okay, but the imam uses, so maybe desire is not strong enough as a word. Uh, but when the imam uses hawa, there is no issue around what hawa is. Fitra, there could be issues because the fitra can become uh, confused, can become lost. Other things can take over and you'll lose sight of your fitra. But a human being will know that this is their hawa. It's the basic, the most base, the most low of our uh, impulses and our desires and they're all related to the ego and the narcissistic side of the human being. Okay, that's what the Quran uses. He says, and look at the one who has taken his hawa as his God. Okay, my own desires become my ilah, my divinity, my God. Okay, so that's someone who just follows whatever impulse they have. That's my impulse, I do it. So I worship my impulses. Inshallah, we'll talk more about that. That's not a full answer because we have to talk about fatra and we don't have time. It's prayer now. Inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.